Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, this is Masterclass Theology. I am Big Rev. And I'm the kangaroo. Welcome back, kangaroo. Our, our, we, I ended up entitling last session, uh, A Joe and a Joseph, Part 1. And so this is going to be in a Joe and a Joseph part two. So, so Joe, the kangaroo is going to bring us our, our concluding uh, second half of the, the Joseph story. And let me open us up with a word of prayer and then you'll have the floor. God, thank you again for, for, for Joe and for his willingness to come and share, uh, share some knowledge with us, Lord. And we are so grateful for your word and that we get to hopefully better understand it and to, to wrestle with it. I know last week we wrestled with the idea of trusting you and, and the idea of wisdom. And so it's just Joseph's story is one of the greatest. And so we, we get to uh, really enjoy how you work in someone's life and the great perspective that we get to maintain. And so just grateful for our time today. And we just, we pray for Joe as he, as he, he leads our discussion and we pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All All right, kangaroo, the floor is yours. All right, cool. Thanks again for having me on the second time. Uh, so I, I think what would probably be good is just to do a really quick recap of what we talked about last week. Um, just just really quickly going through what happened so far so it's fresh in our minds. Um, so if, if you'll remember Jacob, uh, he had two wives and two concubines. And out of those those four, he only loved one of them, Rachel. And Rachel only had two sons um, of the 12 sons that Jacob had. Uh, and those two sons were named Joseph and Benjamin, and Joseph was Jacob's favorite. Um, the brothers, the other uh, 10 brothers mostly, uh, hated uh, Jacob because he was his father's favorite. And, you know, he brought bad reports of him. Uh, and then, of course, the two dreams that Joseph had, which uh, the imp- interpretation of which was pretty obvious that it was their brothers, uh, his brothers bowing down to him. Um then his brothers, they threw him into a pit and Judah had the idea of selling Joseph into slavery instead of killing him. And so they do that for 20 uh, shekels of silver. And then basically where we left off after Joseph is, is sold into slavery, he's falsely accused of um, lying with Potiphar's wife and he's thrown in prison unjustly. And then he had interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker um, and those those interpretations came to pass. But although Joseph asked the cupbearer to, cupbearer to remember him to Pharaoh and to tell him so he can get out of prison, the text tells us that the cupbearer didn't remember Joseph. So that's where we left off um, last week. Starting in chapter 41, uh, two years pass after this event, after uh, where we left off. And Pharaoh now has two dreams. Uh, kind of echoing the two dreams that uh, that Joseph had at the beginning of the story. And Pharaoh's going around looking for someone to interpret his dreams and, and nobody knows what to tell him. Uh, as Pharaoh's going around cup, the cupbearer, he sees, he sees Pharaoh looking around for someone to interpret the dream and he finally remembers Joseph. And so he tells Pharaoh about Joseph and all that happened in the prison. And Pharaoh has Joseph brought to him. And so Pharaoh says, Uh, to Joseph, verse 15, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And so sort of echoing what, what Joseph said to, um, to the cupbearer, 
Joseph is, is sort of humble and he says to Pharaoh, he says, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. So uh, again, Joseph is sort of acting like a prophet and he's saying, you know, this, this interpretation isn't really from me. This is God giving me the, the ability to interpret these, uh, these dreams. So um, Pharaoh tells Joseph the dreams. Uh, I won't read them, um, but it's, you know, similar to, to Joseph's dreams where again, there's two of them and both of them mean the same thing pretty much. And so uh, verse 29, Joseph interprets the dreams and he says, your dreams pretty much mean there will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be known in the land by reason of the famine that will follow for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. Uh, and so then Joseph you know, give some advice, considering that there's, you know, going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Joseph says, verse 33, now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish through the famine. Uh, so I don't know if, if this is sort of up to interpretation. I don't know if Joseph was sort of um, hinting that he would like to do the job or not, or if he was just, just you know, more humbly and uh, without any motive trying to give some advice to, to Pharaoh. As we've seen, Joseph is good at being in charge of things. Um, he was made to be in charge of the household of Pontifer. And then after he was put in prison, he was made to be in charge of the prison. So, you know, he, he clearly has this experience of, of leading and having authority over things and running things. And of course, this sort of uh, ties into you know, the conclusion of the story, what we're going to find out at the end that, um, well, I, I won't spoil anything, but anyways, he has, he has some experience, uh, of leading. And so the, so Pharaoh decides to put him in second, uh, second in command essentially over, you know, Egypt. So verse 37, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. All right. So um, next chapter is, is where things get really interesting because uh, Joseph, he's, he's, like the prime minister or, you know, he, he's second in charge of, of Egypt. He's, he's in control here. He has two sons and gets married. And, uh, you know, these seven years of plenty pass and it's now the seven years of, uh, the beginning of the seven years of famine. And of course, you know, it's affecting, you know, the, the area surrounding the land, uh, the Near East. And um, 
Jacob and his, you know, his 11 sons now, they're struggling. They're, uh, you know, they've pretty much ran out of food because the famine, the famine's here. So verse one of chapter 42 uh, says, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother with his brothers for, for he feared that harm might happen to him. So this is sort of just like how it began. Um, Jacob had sent the uh, 10 or 11 brothers because um, Benjamin was pretty young at the beginning of the story. So I'm not sure if he would have been with them, but if you remember, they were, um, you know, leading the flock pretty far from where Jacob was, but he kept Joseph kind of behind uh, both to sort of, you know, spy on them and to, you know, bring reports of them. And so Jacob's kind of playing the same game now with Benjamin where Benjamin's his favorite and he's, he's kind of overprotective of Benjamin and he sends, he sends the 10 brothers down, but he keeps Benjamin because he, he wants nothing to happen to Benjamin. So it's, it's sort of the story's repeating itself in a way. Uh, verse six. Um, so, so before verse six, basically what happens is, is the, the brothers, they go to Egypt, they see Joseph. And um, as we're going to see, they don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes them. So verse six, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. So remember those, those dreams that talked about uh, Joseph's brothers bowing down to him. Well, here's, here's the first time we see his brothers bow down before him. Verse seven, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, says it again. Uh, and I, I imagine the text, the, the author of Genesis is, is really pointing this out because I think Joseph, once he sees his brothers, all the memories are starting to flood back. You know, it, it had been, you know, um, over a decade, like closer to two decades, probably since he had last seen his brother, brothers. And uh, I think all these memories are just flooding back for him. So verse eight, and Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of, of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. So Joseph, who used to spy on his brothers, essentially for Jacob, he's kind of now accusing them of being spies. And I think this is sort of to remind them as we're going to see Joseph does a lot of uh, things to sort of remind his brothers of what happened and to sort of uh, replay some of the events. Um, so they, they respond to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come here to buy food. And um, basically he accuses them of being spies some more. And they tell him, they're like, no, 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 we we're just 10 brothers. We come from uh, Canaan and our father and our other brother are there. And Joseph, um, obviously, again, he knows, he knows the truth, but kind of playing along as if he doesn't know he says all right if if you guys if you guys are telling the truth um go go get your brother and i'm going to keep one of you guys here i'm going to keep uh simeon here and this way you guys are going to go get your brother and come back and i know you'll you'll be telling the truth and 
this is sort of like an echo again. I think this is this is kind of Joseph um, uh, uh, reminding them of what happened. He he keeps one brother, and and uh, the text says that uh, he bound them in front of him. I'm trying to find the verse. Um, it's verse 24, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And then verse 25, and Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. And so it, it's, it's kind of like, just like how they had sold Joseph for silver and lost one of their brothers and, and went back to their father. So again, here, they, they leave without Simeon, one of the brothers, and they also have the money back, which wasn't their, you know, their plan. But this, this is sort of like Joseph, I think, reminding them uh, and, and, and playing out this scene to, to sort of remind them uh, of what happened. And so they, they go back home and uh, Jacob's not happy. Um, and they tell him, they, they say, you know, the only way we're going to be able to go back is if you let us bring Benjamin. He said, you have to bring Benjamin or else, you know, don't come back here. And Jacob essentially decides at first, all right, leave Simeon. Benjamin's my favorite. I'm not going to let you bring Benjamin down to Egypt. Um, so verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 43, uh, Jacob, eventually they run out of food and they really need to go get some more food. This is obviously like something they need for survival. So eventually Jacob sends Benjamin with them um, and they bring double the money. So like I just, you know, we just read, uh, the money was placed back in their bags and they kind of freaked out when they saw this, they were afraid because, you know, they had bought the food for, for money and they, you know, the money was placed back in their bag. So it, it's like they stole from them essentially. So they bring double the money this time, which is, you know, obviously a very honest thing to do to, to pay for some more food this time, but also to bring back the money that, uh, you know, they had tried to pay last time that they deserved last time for the food. And so, um, they, they come to Joseph and they tell him, uh, you know, what had happened. And, jo and Joseph replies, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasures in the sacks for you. I received your money. And so I, I want to hear what you think about this, Joel. But I kind of thought about this for a bit. Um, wh why would he why did he say your God has put treasure in the sacks for you? Because obviously, you know, when you read it, Joseph puts Joseph has his servant put the the money back in their bags. And um, I really thought about why he would say this, because this is kind of like a lie when you when you read it at first, it's, you know, uh, face value, but I, I was thinking about it. And I think this is almost um, Joseph saying without saying explicitly that, uh, again, this is an echo of what happened before. And so I think when he says, the God has put treasure in the sacks for you. The God has given you that money back. Essentially God gave you the money. I wonder if it's sort of like Joseph interpreting what had happened before saying that, yeah, when you sold me, you know, into slavery, that was God's plan. And, and that money you guys got for me, that was, that was kind of God giving you that money. It was, it was sort of God's orchestration. Um, that's, that's sort of what I was thinking about. He definitely here has, and he seems to be testing them to some degree. I mean, the the very fact, I mean, it, it sounds awful suspicious. Tell me more about this youngest brother. 
I mean, it's it's, it's crazy yeah, how they they don't put two and two. I mean, now they have no, they probably have no, they have no category for this. Like, there's no way this is going to be. Don't don't even think about that. So the fact that he's asking about her brother, they're they're probably thinking. If we don't, if we don't bring food home to dad, we're screwed. I mean, we're all starving and this is the only spot with land. So if he wants to make silly requests of us, then he can make as many as he wants, you know, it's, but Joseph on his end, knowing he has the power here, he then, you know, makes inquiries about a father and about a younger brother. Is this all of you? Is this, and he might be able to play it off as well. I need to know how much, you know, is it, are you really buying enough for your whole family or I don't know, but this might just be a way for him to be testing them again. You know, that your God has blessed you here. Here it is. And it could give them a chance to, I don't know, own it and say, yeah, you know what? Maybe God has, how about that? Or if it causes them grief, then maybe there's hope for them. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah, for sure. I wonder if Joseph is being, is, is doing some data collecting here and kind of seeing how things go. Because again, if, you know, I know he's got he's got a translator with him. We later find out, but mm-hmm. it's, it, it, he can hear their deliberations, and maybe they think and they're deliberating, you know, in, in in Hebrew or whatever they were speaking then, and that 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 Joseph doesn't know, and he of course does. So maybe he could just know more than they know because he already knows more than they know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think he's sort of testing them both, like I was saying, to sort of remind them of of the past, but. But like you said, to figure out, you know, have they changed? Are they still the same brothers that that hated me? Uh, are they going to do the same thing to Benjamin? And so that's essentially what Joseph's going to find out here in this next chapter. Will they do the same thing to Benjamin that they did to me? Um, so, so that's chapter 44. Um, I think I'm going to read most of this chapter. I'll try to read it quick just because this chapter is so good. It's, you know, it kind of does a disservice to just, summarize parts of it and it's very concise so anyways the brothers they get their food the second time and um uh they um let me let me see here okay so yeah so they they i'll I'll just start at verse one um so then he commanded the steward of the house so remember the, the brothers are about to leave they just got food then he commanded the steward of the house Fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack and put my cup, the silver cup in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, which is Benjamin, uh, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. So Joseph's pretty much here going to frame Benjamin for being a thief. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now, Joseph said to his steward, up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. And they said to him, why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, The money that we found in the mouth of our sacks, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of the servants is found with it shall die. And we will also be my Lord's servants. And so they're, they're pretty confident that none of them had stolen the, um, the cup. 
And of course, they make their case. They say, hey, we brought this money back to you guys that uh, we thought you didn't get. So, you know, we're, we've proved ourselves to be honest. Why do you think we would take this silver cup? Verse 10, let it be as you say, he who is found with the cup shall be my servant and the rest of you shall be innocent. So he's, he's kind of setting them up. He's saying, whoever, if some, one of you guys is found with my cup, he's going to be my servant. He's going to be my slave. And the rest of you guys will be innocent. You guys will be able to go off and go back to your father. So 11, then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground and each man opened his sack. And he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes and every man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. And I mean, the brothers have to be freaking out right now because they're, you know, their one, one rule besides bringing back food was, you know, bring Benjamin back to me from J from Jacob. And, you know, they, they just said, whoever, whoever stole the chalice, you know, whoever stole the cup, if, if you find him, kill him. So, the, I mean, they were confident. Thankfully, uh, in a sense, Joseph said, no, that person will just be my, my slave and the rest of you guys will go and be, uh, you know, be, be set free. Mm -hmm. And so this is, this is, this is a really, you know, um, important moment in the story. So if you remember, Judah is the one who sold, um, who sold Joseph into slavery or who had decided that it was all the brothers, but he was the one who came up with the idea to sell him, you know, so they, so they get something in return at least. So verse 14, when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Again, imagery of the, of the dreams uh, that Joseph had at the beginning of his brothers bowing down to him. Verse 15, Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. So Judah saying, all right, all of us, we're all going to be your slaves. Like he's, you know, he probably is thinking, just don't kill us. We'll all serve you. Uh, 17, but Joseph said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose the cup in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. So again, only, only Benjamin is going to be taken and, and held as a slave a century. And so Judah, we'll skip a few verses. Judah tells Joseph about his father. Obviously, Joseph knows uh, most of this and, and whatnot. But Judah tells Joseph uh, that, you know, our, our, our father loves Benjamin the most and he, he told us, don't leave, uh, don't lose him. If, if you, if you lose Benjamin, I'm going to die. I'm going to, I'm going to go down to Sheol. And he tells all this to Joseph and, uh, verse 30, after he tells him Judah pleased with Joseph. And he says, now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he'll die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father for all my life. And so Judah, out of his 
this seems like it's completely out of his love for his father because all he's talking about right here is he doesn't want his father to die because he knows his father's going to be so depressed, so sad that he, he's just going to die once he finds out Benjamin is Benjamin's gone. And so Judah, he pleads, he says, now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. And so here, this is, this is sort of like a, re, a repetition of the story. So Joseph, he just, he sets up this whole scheme to allow them to do what, uh, do, to do to Benjamin, what they did to him. It's, it's perfect for them. If you think about it, they didn't even have to do anything to Benjamin to sell him into slavery. Joseph has him in slavery essentially right now. All they need to do right? This is, you know, their father's favorite son. And they're definitely have gone through the same things with Benjamin as it did with Joseph. You know, they see that Benjamin is, is uh, Jacob's favorite and that I'm sure all annoys them. That all makes them probably dislike Benjamin or at the very least, you know, they're upset about the situation, obviously. And so instead of, of having this perfect excuse and going home and saying, father, he, he stole, he stole from, uh, from the prime minister. I mean, what an idiot. He, this is his fault, uh, you know, and all that. Instead, Judah caring about his father and, and probably his brother, but again, he talks here about his father really, and he doesn't want his father to die or, or, or be, you know, even more sad. He offers himself in place of Benjamin. He says, instead of Benjamin, take me, let me be your servant instead of the boy. And so this is a total turnaround for Judah. Um, it, it's it's totally the opposite where once before he was the one who who had had the idea to sell joseph into slavery now he is offering himself as a slave uh in order that benjamin would be would be free and i think that's that's one of the really cool um and kind of under talked about aspects of this story is is judah's redemption judah's um you know his 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 character arc of, of redemption right yeah, and Joe, I, 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 this is why I believe chapter uh, 38, is it 38 or 28? Which one? The, 38. The, the Tamar story. Yeah. I, believe, I believe that's the reason why that was included, because that that illustrates Judah was once the villain, and then he had, in, in his later years, he had a very a moment of self-reflection and humility. He was humbled by his circumstances, and here the villain did not remain the villain. The villain instead was not trapped by his past. And that villain then was able to make a sacrifice, a sacrificial decision. And it turns Judah from being just a, a rather horrible character into a very much redeemed character and Christ-like, if not. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as we're going to find out, Christ actually comes from the line of Judah. Um, we'll, we'll get there in a little bit, but anyway, so chapter 45, um, just read the beginning of it. This is where Joseph, he sees, I mean, he has this insane reaction to his brother who's totally different. Now his brother offers himself in place of, of Benjamin and, uh, verse one of, of chapter 45 says, then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried and he said, uh, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. 
and he, and he reveals himself. You know, he, he tells them who, the, who he is. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. I mean, I just imagine their, I mean, their, their jaws are on the floor right now. They're, they're like, what? Especially considering, as, as you mentioned, and we, we didn't read the part, but Joseph was, was smart enough to use a translator to, to further conceal the fact of who he was. Um, also, when he, before he goes to meet Pharaoh, uh, right before he interprets the dreams, he shaves himself. And so the look of the Egyptians is different than the look of the Hebrews. And so like the, his brothers and their father, they would have probably had pretty long beards, but in, in Egypt at this time, they, you know, they were pretty clean shaven. And so that's probably another aspect why they didn't, they didn't realize it was Joseph, just because Joseph looked like an Egyptian. Um, and so verse four, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, who you sold into Egypt. And so this is, this is the first time where we're going to see sort of the, um, I, I don't know what to, what to call it. I guess, not the conclusion, but the, the, the moral of the story, uh, Joseph's, uh, amazing interpretation of, of his life. He says, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold in, into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God has sent me before you to preserve life. Mm -hmm. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you, it was not you who sent me here, but God, he made me, uh, he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And so this is, you know, this is a, a crazy thing. He's, he suffered all this in his life and he's going to repeat this at the end of Genesis, but he, he suffered all this you know, injustice. And it was, it was basically stemmed off from, from his brothers, his brother sold him into slavery. And then he went to Potiphar's house and uh, there he was falsely accused and put into prison. And then uh, he helps the cupbearer out and then the cupbearer forgets him. And so all this stuff happens. And of course he eventually becomes second in command of Egypt, which is, you know, one of the best places you could be in the whole world in terms of, you know, authority and power and wealth. Um, but but all this has happened but he he sees he sees the purpose of it he sees the fact that all this has happened uh in order for me to interpret these dreams in order for me to store up this food so that you would survive uh and so these people in egypt would survive as well uh and it's it's really it's really amazing the fact that you know that joseph could see that especially with with all he's been through um and so pretty much after that, Jacob and, and his family, you know, that Jacob comes and, and Joseph sees him and they settle down uh, in, in Goshen in Egypt, where there's, you know, there's food and that's, you know, great land there in, in Goshen. And um, Jacob, he, in, in chapter 49, he blesses, uh, he blesses his sons. And as, as we mentioned earlier, 
Judah is the tribe, the line of which um, not only Christ comes from, who's, who's ultimately the, the main purpose, but, but also David and Solomon. And, and so uh, Jacob in verse eight of, of chapter 49, he blesses Judah and he says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is the lion's cub. And from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and, in, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And so, you know, David, Solomon, Jesus, they all come from, from Judah, who, you know, as, as you talked about, Joel, he was, he was this bad guy. He sold his brother into slavery and the whole uh, Tamar episode in, cha in chapter 38. Um, but he, he obviously repents. He changes. He, he uh, he's willing to sacrifice his, his life uh, his, you know, to become a slave in order to you know, sort of save his father's life and, and let Benjamin go free. And, um, and, and this just reminds me totally of, of something Jesus said in Luke 15, uh, verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And so you might think um, that, that God and, yeah, basically that God would, would have it designed so that Jesus would come from Jacob's line. Because Jacob, pretty much throughout the whole story, you know, he, he may have sort of instigated his brothers near the beginning, but for the most part, throughout the whole story, he was, he was always righteous before God. He, he trusted in God. He did what was right um, and, and all of this. So you might think that God would, would favor him, but no, God favors Judah, who started off bad and changed, who repented. And I, I think that's just a, a really beautiful thing we see in this text here, a very beautiful lesson. Well, how does the story end, Joe? Yeah, so basically Jacob, after he does his blessings of, of, his, of his sons, he dies. And the brothers, they, they have another freakout moment because they think, well, maybe Joseph was only kind to us. Maybe Joseph was only sparing us because our father was still alive. And so once their father dies uh, in verse 15 of chapter uh, 49, um, it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of, of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept. When, he, when they spoke to him, his brothers also came and fell down before him again. The fulfillment of the dreams, his brother, this is like the third time at least that uh, we see in the text of his brothers bowing down before Joseph. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So wow. do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. It says, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. 
Wow. Yeah. That's definitely like a, a big wow moment. Um, so that's, that's pretty much the end of, of, of the story. Joseph, of course, eventually he dies and his brothers die. And uh, of course, uh, in the grand scheme of things, the, the bigger biblical story, you know, now Israel and the descendants of Israel are in Egypt. And of course, they're going to be there for a few hundred years. And eventually this guy Moses is going to lead them out after they were slaves. And, um, you know, the story continues throughout the scriptures. But it, this, this story really shows, um, I think, God working both in individual lives as he did with, with Joseph and as with his brothers and everything. Because it, Joseph's whole story sort of prepared him for this. You know, he he started off uh, bringing reports to his father. And so he, he, you know, had some skill there, I guess, of of watching over people and observing them and, and that kind of thing. And then uh, when he sold into to slavery, he goes to Pontifer's house, which he has authority over the house. And so he has uh, some experience there also of, of being in authority of over the house. And then again, of the prison. And so it, it seemed like all of that was sort of not only to get them to get uh, Joseph into Pharaoh's prison so that he could eventually interpret Pharaoh's dream and then be, be placed second in command. But he, but, but the way he gets there, he goes through these experiences, which also help him, um, be prepared for the task of being in charge of, of Egypt. And that's obviously, uh, you know, purposeful. That's obviously was, was God's plan. And, and as, as Joseph himself said, you know, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Mm-hmm. And, and Joseph feeds, feeds the people of, of Egypt. And of course um, his family remains alive. His family doesn't starve in order that God's promise to Abraham would be fulfilled. Um, and of course these people are now in Egypt and, and that continues God's plan that's revealed throughout the scriptures again in, in the Exodus and, and where they go to the wilderness and, and, you know, the whole old Testament and the new Testament, of course, being fulfilled, uh, with Jesus, it, it, this, this story sort of just shows God's, God's working on multiple levels. I think, I mean, it's, it's focused on the individual, but it, it, it's sort of a, a crucial part of the whole biblical story. And of course, the whole, you know, universe story at that, the whole story of the universe. So. So, Joe, imagine you are somebody who's had a hard life. Imagine you are somebody who has had things happen to them and you're struggling with the why questions and you, you're pondering God in the midst of all of this. How does Joseph's story bring you comfort? Yeah, well, I'm going to have to refer back to Paul. Uh, Romans 8:28, where Paul says, uh, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so, you know, I think, I think hardships in life and I'm pretty thankful um, that I haven't had too many hard things, but uh, in my life to deal with, I've had a few things here and there, but you know, n- nothing like I've heard of other people and, and nothing like Joseph, you know, and uh, I think, trusting that God is, is accomplishing something through your pain, through your suffering. Uh, even if it's, even if it's not just some, it, it, you know, it definitely could be some huge plan like he did with Joseph, but even if it's, it's just suffering and, and you, you have no idea what the plan is and you have no idea uh, if there even is a plan in the suffering and, and all you can, all you focus on is just the suffering. I think, suffering in itself, you can, you, you can know that God is putting you through this 
in order to, to sort of build you as a character, uh, build your character, build you as a person, just like, he, you know, he built Joseph into, into a leader uh, through the different experiences he went. And so I think there's, there's hope on many levels, you know, even when you, even when you have no idea, you can't see any benefit to this in the future. You can at least know that for right now, uh, you're, you're building character and you have, you have that promise from God that, uh, God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Yeah, I think a really good, if, if so to any of our listeners who are, who see themselves in that, in that light, and you might be wondering about your own story and what God might be doing. I think a really good question to ask during the, especially if you are a person of faith and you do trust God and you do, you are a follower of Jesus and you, and you, you, you've, you've committed yourself to following him and you're, you would consider yourself a disciple or a follower. I think a really good question is not what is God doing, but I think a really good question is what is God expecting me to learn? And again, not trying, what is God trying to teach me? No, we, we, we don't really see God trying to do anything, but what is God expecting me to learn during this season? Because this season keeps getting worse or I keep getting new things happening to me. And, and, and Joe, I wonder about, I wonder about Joseph because he had those dreams in the cupbearer and the baker. And what did the text say? He had to wait two years. Mm-hmm. Those are two years of no information except no. So that would be two years of, if he was praying to be released, that would be a consistent no, or at least a not yet. And waiting upon the memory of, of the cupbearer to be able to, you know, will, will he eventually drop my name in conversation? And and it took two years. I mean, that's two years of potential bitterness. That's two years of Joe or Joseph could have maintained a story that says, well, I was forgotten. That's just one more strike against me. Or it sounds like for Joseph to be in this spot where he's at, that he was maintaining a different story. That, you know, my life sucks, but God is faithful. God's got this. God God has a reason for this and God's working his plan and so I'm I'm expected to be faithful. Right? I mean, I, I just see that time period as one where a lot of our listeners might just say, well, that's just one more thing I got to deal with, as opposed to, no, God is teaching me something here, and I need to learn something important right now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a good point. I didn't think too much about those two years, but but that's true. You know, um, you know, God could have had it to where Pharaoh had had those dreams like right away. Right. And so, so yeah, there's definitely something, some purpose, something that Joseph maybe had to learn or, uh, or, or perhaps maybe even it, it was, you know, Joseph had to learn something, but maybe it was also waiting for his brothers to learn something too, you know? Um, and, and so, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Well, Joe, any final thoughts on this journey with Joseph? Um, yeah, no, I, I don't think so. I think, I think, we pretty much summed it up again, that, that Romans verse really encapsulates, I think that the moral of the story, you know, God works all things together for good for those who love him. And I think as we saw throughout the story, Joseph always loved God. He always uh, sought to do what was right. Um, he resist, resisted temptation uh, from, you know, Pontifer's wife, as well as, uh, you know, perhaps we, we don't know, but perhaps he, 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 felt tempted to punish his brothers. We, we don't know that. It doesn't say it in the text, but um, we know he didn't really punish them. He, he was, was gracious towards them the whole time and, and everything. Uh, you know, at, once he revealed himself before, he obviously had sort of tested them. But, um, 
but yeah, I mean, he, he, he always tries to have his attitude aligned, not, not just in what he does, but in his attitude towards God and towards doing good, you know, and that's, that's a very important thing. And, and I think, I think this, this story, like I said, just really is summed up by Romans 828. So. Yeah. Joe, uh, one, one, one final question I got, would you say that, that Joseph to at the end, after all has been said and done, after his great pronouncements with his brothers, after seeing those great emotional moments where things are unfolding and he sees, you know, Judah have his moment and he starts weeping, he has to turn away and it's just so much to take in. Would you say that Joseph was at peace? Um, he may have been. Um, obviously, sometimes people, people, they, they feel as though nothing ever can take away the pain of, of certain events. And so um, we don't know too, too much about what Joseph's inner feelings were. We know a lot about what he, what he does on the outside. And we know obviously that he weeps there and, and, and he weeps at other times throughout the story as well, that we sort of skipped over. Uh, one of the, one of the funnier scenes we, we kind of skipped over is um, he has, after they come to the second time with Benjamin, he has a feast and uh, they get, he gives Benjamin five extra or um, like five uh, servings five, you know, five times more what everybody else had for, for his food and, and such. So um, I, I mean, I, I think it, I would say it certainly seems like he's at peace. I mean, the fact that he's so quick to, to tell his brothers, don't fear, you know, I, God meant this for good. And he reassures uh, you. Yes, yes, exactly. And, and he goes and, the and, extra mile to, to, I mean, it's when he didn't have to, when he could have said, yeah, 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 you're going to live now. No, no, I don't want to see you ever again kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He said, um, you know, after, after he says uh, the, you know, God meant it for good, you meant it for evil. He says in verse 21 of 49, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. You know, not only is he, is he going to spare them, but he's going to take care of them. You know, he's going to, he's going to feed them. He's going to feed their children. And it says, thus he comforted that comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So, so I would say, you know, I would say for the most part, he definitely seems to be, to be at peace, you know, with, with what happened. He, he understands the purpose in it. He understands uh, why things happen the way they did. And he trusts God. And uh, even after all that happened, he loves his brothers and he takes care of them and he feeds them and he feeds their children. So. Right. I really see two, two great illustrations here. They're, they're quick. I know we got to wrap this up, but with, with, with Judah's story, he was once the villain and he was intentional about the right things. And he, 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 I would say he would do what, what John the Baptist would later say in, I believe, Luke 3, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So he had a repentance moment and or at least a moment where he was broken and mm-hmm. he responded to that. There is hope for the villain. The villain doesn't have to stay the villain. The villain can make different choices. And there's hope for that. If, if, you're, if you're listening to this and you are the villain and you've made horrible choices, there's hope for you, my friend. That hope is an intentionality. That hope is making the right decision moving forward. That hope is, begins with repentance and it continues with self-denial. And there's also hope for the one who's been more of a victim. And Joseph is clearly the one who was victimized and again and again and again. And his hope is found in peace. And that peace is found in being intentional regarding showing grace. And grace is something that is never deserved. It cannot be earned. And so his brothers didn't deserve one bit of this, but he had peace and he showed forgiveness and he showed more than forgiveness. He showed comfort. And 
that was a perspective that could only come from God. And that was a perspective that came from peace and, and understanding that God was at work and that God was going to use him to show grace. So there's a path forward for the victim, but there's a path forward also for, for, for the villain, but also for the victim. And I think that's just a great thing. And, and the theological understanding that of what God is doing. What is God expecting me to learn during this season? So much to unpack here. Joe, thank you so much for, it feels like it was a a, a Joseph masterclass here. So thank you so much for this two-part journey. It was an honor. Yeah, thank you. The journey alongside you, Mr. Kangaroo. And and we'll bring this to a close here. Uh, This has been Masterclass Theology, a Joe and a Joseph part two. As always, I am Big Rev. And I'm the Kangaroo. God bless you. We'll, We'll catch you next time. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.